Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to another grand and glorious day in the best little city in America. That, of course, being Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where I am emanating this broadcast from. How about we spend a couple hours here on the Patrick Lally Show, engaged in energetic and entertaining conversation on local, state, national news and politics. We're going to talk about film today, a little public input. Uh, It's going to be fun. Back to work on a Monday and very happy to be here with all you good people. Uber producer Dan Peters is out. He was here in the morning. Early morning, Dan was covering on the Main Street Cafe this morning about 5 a.m. Up with the sun, before the sun. And so uh, he's he's somewhere, I imagine, napping. That's That's my guess, napping. Thanks for spending some time with us. On your radio at Information 1000 KSOO, streamed live on KSOO.com or the KSOO mobile app. As always, we are up on Facebook Live. Looks like we got a good internet signal today. It's all working. I can see myself talking. I can see my. I can see the comments and such. Of course, you can always follow on our Twitter account at P Lally Show. Send me a question there. Uh, so had a great weekend. I really. I mean, I had a marvelous, marvelous weekend. It was. It was nice out and uh, got a lot done. Uh, spent some time uh, hanging out at the bait shop over there, Northview Bait with Matt Staub and the boys. Matt wasn't there. That's why I was there helping out. And uh, he, Matt Staub, frequent guest on the program, disgruntled former city commissioner Matt Staub, had, uh, was up fishing. Well, that's good. If you own a bait shop, you should go fishing. And But I, I got to do a lot of other cool stuff. I uh, uh, got to ride my bike quite a bit, different bikes, different kinds of bikes. Went over, got my mountain bike out, and went over uh, uh, to Elmwood Park and cruised around a little bit there with the nine-year-old. He had uh, something he wanted to try out, so that was good. But then Sunday, uh, we're out at uh, Good Earth, uh, not the state park, but the farm, Good Earth Farm. Got a nice CSA program out there, and we were out there picking strawberries and having a nice time. And I, I took the opportunity to try and ride on some dirt with my cyclocross bike and uh uh, you know, this happens uh, uh, about uh, once a year when you start getting ready for cyclocross season, you know, the racing on the dirt with the with the bike. And uh, uh, if you don't know what a cyclocross bike is, it looks just like a road bike. looks like a 10-speed, but it's got little wider tires on it, a little knobbier. And anyway, you got to jump on and jump off. And so I'm practicing that. And I didn't, I had just like regular shorts on, you know, didn't have the like the bike shorts on. And th- this is, you got to be aware of this, and I am, but occasionally the, uh, uh, if you're wearing just little floppy shorts, they can, they can kind of catch on the back of the seat when you're trying to jump on. And it happened. And uh, I did kind of a, a slow motion, slow speed tumble. Tumble is the best way to describe it. And I'm fine, you know, grass stains, a few scratches and bruises. Fortunately, I was able to do it within sight of a whole bunch of people. <laughs> okay, maybe like five, but it was enough that it's kind of embarrassing. You get a nice round of applause, but lovely out there. This weekend, this weekend is a first chance of the year to go bike packing, and I'm looking forward to that. Going up to Palisades this weekend, pack everything up on bikes, roll up to the Palisades, spread everything out, have a fire, that kind of thing. Some folks going up there, so that'll be really a good time and i'm looking forward to spending some time in a tent i'm not a big tent guy 
But, you know, one night out under the stars, I can deal with that. Uh, also, I, I, if you're like me, you, you start something, you put it off, you put it off, you put it off, you put it off. And then once you start, you can't stop. That's what garage cleaning is like. So uh, I had done a little bit of rearranging with the bikes and such because everything was getting kind of hobby-nobby in there. And, but all the cars were out and everything, so uh, swept it all out. You know, got all the winter's dirt finally out of the garage. And then, you know, well, then you got to arrange this and arrange that. And three, four hours later, you got yourself a nice, tidy garage. So it was a, it was a good weekend. We had a nice time. Uh, we had uh, fresh strawberries from Good Earth, which is a fantastic, fantastic place if you're interested in CSAs and locally produced produce. That's one of the places you can go, and I'm really looking forward to that. We had uh, strawberry shortcake on uh, Sunday night, and it was awesome. Awesome. So everything went really well. I hope your weekend was equally as pleasant as mine. The weather was wonderful. Uh, we were got a nice run going here and i'm enjoying it a lot the bugs are out a little bit i'm scratching and itching but it'll be all right we've got a great show for you today our guests include filmmaker anthony keitlinger he is a peer native and augustana university grad uh, who has gone on to some uh success in the film world he has directed a film called tater tot and Patton, which has won some awards and uh, he's also doing well on the festival circuit and he's got other stuff he's working on, so we'll talk to him. City Councilor Teresa Staley will be here to talk about the whole controversy surrounding public input at council meetings. I think we know where Teresa stands. We'll chat with her about that. The Boon Man is our weird friend of the day, and I'll have a PL statement just after the break. Today's topic Bob Litz and Donald Trump. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Three sixteen on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. And I normally play the Bodines in this slot. I think I have every day of this show since we started, just about one year ago today. But I played London Calling today because I couldn't find the Bodines in the system. Something went wrong. The Bodines, they're gone. No, they're in there somewhere. I just couldn't find them. And, you know, it change is good, people. Change is good. And anytime you can play the Clash, you're going to be okay. I play a lot of Clash on this show, so I always fall back when I have to. Um, it is P&L Statement time here on the show. And, you know, there was a lot going on this weekend. Lots going on. Uh, and I start, I start, let's start with El Presidente Trump. So uh, uh, the president, and we're going to get to Litz in a second here, Bob Litz, big bad Bob Litz, county auditor. But I want to talk just briefly about the president. So he goes up to Canada and things don't seem to be going as well. He, by all accounts, he didn't want to be there. Okay. This is a, a New York Times story that is uh, uh, about his his appearance in Quebec 
And uh, he says, uh, this says, Mr. Trump never really wanted to attend the Group of Seven meeting, but aides pressed him to go, even as they feared it would be a disaster because he was being forced to do something he did not want to do. He rebelled by showing up late and leaving early. So uh, he shows up 18 minutes late for the Saturday session on gender equality and did not bother putting in his headphones for translation when President Emmanuel Macron of France spoke. At some points, Trump closed his eyes in what people in the room took to mean he was dozing off. But he came alive whenever trade was mentioned, mocking and insulting other leaders, particularly Mr. Trudeau, Mr. Macron, and Chancellor Angela Merkel of Germany, according to witnesses. Ms. Merkel was clearly not happy, but largely kept quiet, evidently not wanting to provoke more conflict. Mr. Trump's conversation was described by European officials as stream of consciousness filled with superlatives, but not following a linear argument. And uh, as we all know, uh, he uh, basically told the American delegation that we weren't going to sign on to this uh, uh, communique at the end of the show, at the end of the uh, appearance, and then started making fun of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, saying he had uh, betrayed him, stab in the back. Oh, man, it got ugly up there in Canada as uh, Robert D. Hormatz, who has advised Republican and Democratic presidents at dozen Group of Seven summit meetings, starting in first in France in 75, when it was still Group of Six, he says, I've never seen anything like this. The irony of this insi- institution was designed largely by the United States and was really designed to shore up alliances and political relationships and resolve economic issues. This just served to do the opposite of that. Um so that was interesting, but I, I kind of, I just like the quotes from these folks. Um, after uh, the president took off on the plane headed to Singapore for the uh, Kim Jong Un summit. Um, well, first there's Pete Navarro. Pete Navarro, he's the president's trade advisor, and talking about uh, Trudeau and and what he said. There's a special place in hell for any foreign leader that engages in bad faith diplomacy with President Donald J. Trump and then tries to stab him on the back on the way out the door. It's funny. This is from the Times story. Left unclear what was exactly Mr. Tro- what exactly Mr. Trudeau had said that so offended Mr. Trump during his Saturday pre- news conference. The Prime Minister was relatively measured, but repeated his position that Canada, Canada will not be pushed around. It would respond to American tariffs with tariffs of its own. Um. So then the, then the comments started coming. So uh, this is Trudeau's foreign minister, Christia Freeland. Uh, the national security pretext is absurd and frankly insulting to Canadians, the closest and strongest ally the United States has had. That is where the, uns- is where the insult lies. She added, uh, Canada th- does not believe that ad hominem attacks from Trump's people are a particularly appropriate or useful way to conduct our relations with other countries. Ronald Paris, former uh, foreign affairs advisor to Mr. Trudeau. Big tough guy once he's back on his airplane. Can't do it in person and he knows it, which makes him feel weak. So he projects these feelings onto Trudeau and then lashes out at him. You don't need to be Freud. He's a pathetic man-child. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't go well. Um, I, they, they're not friends. And, you know, the concerning thing here is this, this is the Western alliance, right? These are our allies. And things were going okay, and then 
down the just down the uh, toilet. Uh, Joseph Brommel of the German Council on Foreign Relations said Mr. Trump considered diplomacy a waste of time. He is about to destroy what's left of the liberal world order because he thinks rules and institutions help America's rivals, China and Europe. And there's some folks who say it's, it's all a negotiating technique. That's, you know, you get mad, you walk out, you slam the door and then they come running after you. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why they'd come running after us at this point. I saw also that China went ahead and bought a whole gob of of uh, soybeans from Russia. Yeah. One third of our soybeans from South Dakota go to, typically go to China, but not anymore. So let's talk about Bob Litch shortly, shall we? So uh, can we, at this point, can we call him embattled county auditor Bob Litz? So Big Bad Bob Litz is the uh, guy who runs the elections for Minnehaha County, right? And uh, we had for many, 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 many years, Sue Roust. Things went largely okay. So Big Bad Bob Litz takes over oh, several years ago now. I think he's, he's, ru- he's about to run for his second term. Seems like he got uh, maybe appointed to that job originally and then ran. I, the details escape me, but he's been in a while. He's been in you know one full term. And... Uh, we we struggle in Minnehaha County to get those results out. We struggle, right? Sometimes, sometimes, Minnehaha County is like among the last counties to report long after Pennington County. And Pennington County has to start an hour behind us. And so, you know, Pennington County is not as big as Minnehaha County, clearly, clearly. There was like 18,000 votes or something cast in the primary last week which, you know, isn't, isn't a ton uh, opposed to a general. But, you know, it's a fair amount. And uh, so uh, Big Bad Bob Blitz has been under some pressure to, to shore things up over there, and it seemed like things were getting better. And then we had our little primary last week, uh, and so a couple things happened. Um, one, uh, several people in Minnehaha County reported getting the wrong ballots. You know, uh, Mark Millage, uh, he is uh, formerly the news director at Kello. Uh, he's done some, he ran uh, Killian Community College for a while, and he's doing some other stuff now in, I think, media relations. But anyway, so he says he got a District 9 ballot, although he lived in District 11. And so there were a bunch of reports of this after the, the election. And then uh, the the uh, Minnehaha County Commission had this meeting on Friday, and they had Big, Bob Lip, Big Bad Bob Litz there. Uh, talking to him, you know, and Big Bad Bob Litz did not respond well to questioning. So Jeff Barth, who's a Democrat, Bob Litz is a Republican. They use partisan labels in at county level politics. Barth asks, what could be done to prevent future instances where voters receive the wrong ballot? Litz says, this is human error. At the end of the day, I'm sitting here holding the bag. You're, a, you're up there playing political, playing a political ploy. I'm a Republican. You're a Democrat. I get that. That's the way the game is played. But don't, don't pretend like you're not playing that game, Mr. Barth. He then turned to Rose Grant, a Democrat running to replace him, and continued his remarks to Barth. This according to the Argus Leader story. This is your candidate over here for the auditor's office, Litz said. You groomed her. You brought her down and got the petitions for her. You didn't even turn in 
she didn't even turn in her own petitions. So uh, the rest of the commission, who are Republicans, uh, tried to refocus the meeting and said the problems reported Tuesday weren't of a partisan nature. I can understand where you're coming from, Commissioner Gene Bender told Litz. But honestly, from my perspective, this is not a partisan issue. This is an integrity of the system issue. Which I think has kind of been the issue all along. Uh, then today, they had uh, Big Bad Bob Litz back in front of the uh, commission. And they find out that 164 ballots were discovered uh, Friday. What, three, four day, three days after the election. Litz attributed the lost ballots to tabulating errors that allowed their absence to go unnoticed. He says, uh, I ultimately... I was ultimately the one who made the decision to go which way to proceed. Uh, he decided to just uh, uh, count the ballots and add them to the existing results. He says, there were some simple math mistakes with the number of ballots, dividing them all up. It just became a little bit difficult for some of our folks. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, uh, human error. There's human error all over the place at the auditor's office. Everybody's got human error. I think the uh, the human error might be uh, the auditor, but that's the way it goes. Big bad Bob Litz will await more news on Mr. Litz. That's the bottom line on today's P&L statement. You can agree or disagree with me. Drop me an email, Patrick at KSO.com. Follow us on Twitter at Pilali Show and chat there. Always good to hear from you. Coming up after the news and weather, we're going to talk with... The Boon Man on Weird Friends and Teresa Staley will be in about 345, so you're going to want to stick close for that. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Three thirty-five on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO, and it's uh, 3.30-ish, so it's time for Weird Friend. And today, I'm very happy to have back... On the line, the Boon Man. Boon Man, how's your weekend? You all right? You, do you doing okay? Well, I got to tell you, Patrick. Uh, I think I understand what you're saying, but it kind of sounds to me like you're talking on a walkie-talkie. Really? That's not Are good. You, that's you using not a good. walkie-talkie? I I'm not talking into a walkie-talkie. Let's. Oh, see. hey, that's much better though. There, there. Oh, I don't know who's running the equipment over there, but well, unfortunately, it's me. That's probably <laughs> part of the issue. Well, you know, it's usually operator error. Oh, oh it's great, uh, great, doing great, a great weekend. Um, spent some time downtown. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I don't really like getting south of about 22nd Street. I understand that. You know, and I like downtown. Uh, grew up in the way north end. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, spent a lot of time there. You know, what really gets me every time I go there to Falls Park is how nice it is down there. It is. It's almost too nice, but it's very nice. Oh, it's just beautiful, and that Levitt deal is going to be great. Mm-hmm. And who knows what's going to happen with Sue Steele. I, in my mind, they'll keep that and make, and maybe there already is a plan, and I just don't know about it. But they're gonna, I would imagine that'll be mixed-use retail condo apartment type stuff over there. I mean, there's some great buildings to redo. Yeah, it's it's awesome and I think that uh you know they they are taking input right now. So there's no there's no we don't know what it's going to be. 
Sioux Steel, but it's it's a uh, ideal spot. It's right on the river. Great buildings in that Sioux Steel, that sign as you drive in. I'm sure that they got to leave that. I would hope so. Uh, yeah. I so, would hope. But, but you, that'll be great. you never know. And, but now, do you remember, as we were talking earlier, mm-hmm. when we were kids going down to Falls Park, we would walk there from school mm-hmm. at Cathedral, walk down the hill down to Falls Park. Yes. <laughs> wow. What a dump. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. It was scary. I mean, it was filthy and overgrown. It looks so different now that uh, you can see so much more of everything that's down there and uh, in downtown because when we were kids that's when they were going to save downtown with the mall with yeah. the outdoor pedestrian mall yeah that didn't happen i mean the mall happened but it yeah, yeah, yeah. drove everybody out the whole saving part didn't quite no, work no. but you know what's weird well, though when you go to like boulder and there's some other places where they did something similar to that, and it yeah. it made it through. And now, when the when the uh, downtown gets rejuvenated, that's like a central sort of walking area with clubs and shops and all that. And you know, ours just has a, a street through it, is all. But it's it's weird. Yeah. Some of those places where it actually made it through the the, the funnel. Well, it'd be probably larger population base. And mm-hmm. so, but I think it's great to have the streets go through there and. All of the, the activity that's going on down there, you, you you go downtown any any even during the week, evenings and weekends. There's stuff happening down there. Oh there's yeah, stuff happening down. There. I'm just glad you were able to you know get out of the yard. I, I know how you like to spend your free time out at the estate, and so I'm just happy that you're coming in and socializing. That's burning cool. stuff, shooting guns. Yeah, that's stuff. Stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. not you know that's a that's a kind of a different uh, activity for you. So that's good. And I and I get a lot of uh, get a lot of enjoyment out of the all of the stuff that I have, you know, trees and the yard. Mm-hmm. You know, I like I, I have a well, mm-hmm. so I do water my my yard quite a bit because I like to walk barefoot in it. Oh, I don't like it to hurt. And and it's you know, your my water. well is only thirty eight feet deep, and it has nineteen feet of water in it. So <laughs> the way I look at it, when I water, it's just going right back into my well. Yeah, that's right. Um, it- just leaching some nitrogen down there. It's perfect. Yeah, it's very sandy soil, so all of whatever is in there gets gets all filtered back out, and boom, right there, and uh, fantastic water. Nothing better than drinking water out at the Boone Ranch, out right out of the garden hose. Mm, That's coming right there? out of the ground. <laughs> that is not treated at all. That is just coming right out of the ground. Mmm, yummy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's true. Your place out there, uh, north of town, you're sort of in that old Big Sioux River yeah. uh, watershed, you know, river floodplain thing, and it's probably very rich, very rich soils. Very sandy, and uh, it does grow, but it does it does not hold water well. But uh, it does grow stuff great. Very easy to dig in, garden. Although I stopped gardening because you can buy it from other people for a lot less. But yeah, but I still do. Uh, quite often, re- do you ever read Mother Earth News? I, Mother Earth News. I don't know that I've ever heard it. Is You've it? never heard of it? No, I don't think I've ever heard of it. Oh, no kidding. It's been around forever. Mother Earth News, it is just a, you got to pick up a copy of it. Um, and I'm sure that I have no idea where you'd get it. I've, I see it occasionally at uh, uh, tables and doctors' waiting waiting rooms. Hmm. Uh, but it it is um, 
there's some crazy stuff in there, really, and it, it really seems to be marketed toward a, a you know, kind of an eclectic blend of uh, you know, tree huggers and tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy nut jobs and uh, preppers and maybe maybe a handful of people that just they're normal and have a garden. Yeah, that sounds like my audience. Actually, <laughs> it really, you know, that sounds perfect for the people who listen to the Patrick Lally show because you got your uh, you got your uh, tree huggers. That's definitely uh, part of it. Uh, conspiracy theorists. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely in my audience, and I love you all. Uh, uh, prep. What was the oh preppers prepping for the <laughs> end? The conspiracy theorists. Yeah, that's that's yeah. perfect. And uh, gardeners. In fact, yeah. we're gonna have a gardener on later. Teresa Staley, right after uh, you. She's yeah. gardener. There, you know, there's just things about you know, kind of living off the grid and getting you know water, planting plants that 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 get rid of bugs instead of spraying insecticide and. Um, you know, weed killers. You know, I mean, I throw down the napalm and uh, <laughs> take care of the, uh, you know, the, the never grow back juice where I don't want stuff growing. I put that down. And, so you're so you're just looking for things not to do by getting mother. Earth well, but you know, the thing that I kind of like is, uh, you know, I I, I would like to uh, put a manual pump on my well because yeah. it is so shallow, and when uh, electricity goes out. And I, I don't mean the electromagnetic pulse that's going to knock electricity out for years <laughs> and start the you know the downfall yeah. in our country, which you know that will happen. Yep. Yeah. I mean you know when when there's a thunderstorm or, or a ice storm and we lose electricity, I don't have water at my house. No, that's not good. And that's difficult because uh, I like things like toilets, you know, in the house. Yeah. And um, you know, drinking. And such. I mean, I do have drinking water on hand, mm-hmm. which is not enough. And, uh, but you know, taking a shower—that's nice. Uh, I like to be clean. You know, so uh, that's uh, that's mainly what I look for in the Mother Earth news. Hand pumps. There's there's stuff in there about you know waterless toilets and living off the grid. A lot of living off the grid stuff, <laughs> and uh, you know how to grow this, that, the other thing, and to keep the man uh, off. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Sounds stuff. perfect. I got to start reading this thing. Yes, Mother Earth News: The Original Guide to Living Wisely. That's their ah. tagline. A lot of tiny house stuff. Um, you know how to keep cool without air conditioning. Yeah, oh, I like this. Cool. I got to look this up. Yeah. Yes, this yeah. would give me fodder for the program. Yeah. Oh, there's plenty of stuff in there. Believe me, you. <laughs> it'll write itself. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, boom, man. To create your own ecosystem in your yard and, yeah, raise <laughs> some fish. Are you going to, you're not going to do any of this, except for uh, the hand pump. I, I wouldn't mind having that. Uh, there's kind of a thing where where you've got like a, uh, um, sorry, there's the boon phone ringing. Yeah, first, yeah I, I, apparently, I'm, is it is it a 1964 yeah. black thing it, that sits on your desk? I'm <laughs> sitting by a payphone. Down right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, no, it's, uh, but uh, I, there is a, a deal where you get, uh, uh, like on the bottom, it's it's a, a fish deal where, where there's tilapia in, in this, like a, in a big square plastic tank. And then above it, you grow um, vegetables and such in a, in a kind of a hanging yeah. uh, a garden, and then it waters itself, and then the, the uh, fish poop is fertilizer yeah. for the... And it's just it's, it's just a big circle of life, and you have 
all the fresh vegetables and fish you'd ever need. Self-sustaining, self-replicating, just keeps growing back. You put that in your garage and you're set. I can't, I can't for the life of me imagine you reading this magazine. But Get one of those, some high-powered <laughs> rifles, plenty of ammunition. And hunker down for the, the zombie apocalypse, right? When that electromagnetic, not the zombie apocalypse, <laughs> when that electromagnetic pulse knocks out electricity, don't come knocking at my door. Oh, uh, yeah, they will. Well, I will, for sure, so make I, me some room. Other people, other, other questions. <laughs> Boone, man, thanks a lot, and uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to you next week. Hey, I got a, I got a punchline that you need to Google oh. up. If you, to, if you want to know the joke, Google up this punchline. All right. The breakfast? That was my idea. <laughs> Google it up. <laughs> Uh, Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later. Goodbye, Patrick. Coming up after the break, we've got Teresa Staley coming in to talk about uh, public input. Should be fun. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Nothing but a pick on the side. 348 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And I am very pleased to have back in studio... Uh, it's been a while, though, so we're, it, it was time. Teresa Staley, city council member at large, is with us right now. Teresa, thanks for coming in. And thank you so much for giving me some time, Patrick. Well, we just like talking to you. Thank you. Some, I love talking to you as well. So nice to say so. Um, the, uh, here, here's the deal, okay? Tomorrow, everybody knows. Not everybody. What am I thinking? It's city government. Nobody pays attention to city government. Tomorrow, you are going to be discussing the first reading of a ordinance. First reading, right? That is first right. First reading of an ordinance uh, to uh, change the way public input works at council meetings. That is correct. Explain this to the good people of Sioux Falls. Well, first of all, I, I just need to say that I have been a, a very strong advocate of, of public input. And, and public input as it stands now at the beginning of every 7 o'clock meeting. And uh, I've been participating myself for the last 12 years, and many people have traveled through our council doors to give us uh, their perspective and and share their concerns to the entire council at that time. So um, that is a very important thing for me. And, And we just came off of an election campaign where we were talking about transparency, citizen uh, responsiveness, opening things up. And, and I, I'm so dis, uh, disappointed that the first order of business that our vice council chair, Marshall, Marshall Selberg, yep. introduces last Thursday is this, this ordinance to change the public input time from the 7 o'clock time till some um, foggy time at the end of the meeting. It could be 7.30, it could be 9.30, it could be 10 o'clock. Uh, that that is going to be like a a guessing game for a now, citizen. It used to be that way. This, uh, you know, it wasn't all citizen input wasn't always at the top of the show there, right? I, apparently, it's been over fifteen years since that has changed. It's been a while, and, and of course, we're we're talking. I don't know how things worked when we had the old form of government, you know, with the commissioners. Mm-hmm. So I I've never really heard about how the the public comment went. And and I think as our city has grown, we've probably had a need for more. Uh, public input because people are so much more disjointed from what's happening at City Hall. They're not aware of the uh, things that are coming around the bend. Um, You know as well as anybody that uh, there has been some pushback against some of the people who who show up regularly for public input. Um, 
what what is your what are your thoughts on the sort of tone and tenor that the public input has taken at times uh, over the last couple of years? Well, Patrick, I think a lot of that has come out of the mayor and his administration. Uh, I, I think citizens have felt um, that they were not being listened to and that they were just kind of being pushed aside. So that created more animosity within the citizenry. And, yes, there were times when it, it has gotten um, – emotional and and most recently people were swearing during the meeting one person uh, one person we've had people coming back and repeating their their uh testimony uh and, and it comes down to content you know how do we limit content versus we have many people who've come in the doors with a situational concern uh, neighbors that are concerned about zoning issues and uh, all sorts of we had lots of comment at that time for the administration building and, and for the b- downtown parking ramp the smoking ban the uh, the park board ordinance situation so people have come in and used that time uh, accessible time in many different ways and I believe the citizens are first I believe citizens' concerns are first, and it's the only opportunity they have to address the council and the mayor. What do you think should happen when somebody uh, – where should the limit be? So obviously swearing is bad. Mm -hmm. Threatening uh, city employees is bad. Exactly. Um, Any sort of – untoward behavior, shall we say, is bad. But how – what do you – what do you think uh, we should do about those particular people, and how should that be handled? Well, you know, Patrick, you're asking me a question about my opinion on I'm fixing it, making mm-hmm. it better. This is this is the very thing that I'm I, I'm very concerned about is that we haven't had that opportunity. We this should have been addressed in a working session where all the council comes together to discuss options, to talk about what the problems are, and also in in, in an informational where we can get more information about how we could proceed. But we didn't have any of that. It's been introduced last Thursday as an ordinance. Councillor Selberg texted all of us and said, "Hey, heads up! I'm bringing this thing next Tuesday, first reading." And uh, I called him, and of course I was concerned. I was very concerned that he would have approached it this way without talking to us about it. Mm-hmm. And, and let me say that when I brought forth that park board ordinance a year ago to have districting mm-hmm. for every um, district, um, I met with every council member. It took a period of weeks. I met with each council member, showed it to them, asked for their feedback. I had to go in front of the park board. It was in the media. People knew about it. We got feedback. This thing had none of that, and yet it impacts so many. We're going to come right back. Uh, We're going to carry Teresa over through the news and weather and uh, come back and chat a little bit more with that. So stay with us for more conversation. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KS. Oh, oh. 358 on the Patrick Lally Show. We'll be right back with Teresa Staley after the news and weather, talking more about public input. In the meantime, remember, this weekend, Friday is Fridays on the Plaza, 1130 to 2, outside the KSFY studio down there on the federal government plaza. It's pretty cool. Go see it. Stay tuned. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 
406 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. That's as close as I can come for to classical music for Teresa Staley, our guest, as we continue our conversation. City Council member representing uh, one of the at-large districts, and we've been talking about public input at city council meetings and proposed changes thereof. Um, so the the meeting, the first reading for this is tomorrow night, correct? That is correct. What happens at this? Well, well, we're going to, of course, have people coming in and testifying at that public input time. Um, and, because and I, you can't speak directly. That's right. You could not speak directly to that first reading um, under normal circumstances. You, the only time you can address a first reading is at public input. And, and I think public input should be easy and not complicated and this is how it has been. It's, it's Citizens want to come and speak, or I'll say, do you want to come and talk? It's at 7 o'clock. Come on in. They might have to wait a little bit. But it's very. It's a very simple thing. Moving it to the back of the meeting is going to make it very complicated. Because you don't know when that's going to be, because you got who oh. knows what's on the oh, agenda. Oh, that's right. And so there's it, a lot of... of uh, just sitting around, people just won't do it. it, it well, and, and they're they're saying, well, we need to get to the important business. You know, we've got de- uh, developers sitting there that want to get their stuff heard. And let me just say that they've already had their a lot of access to city staff. The, the developers are talking to the city staff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I C- Councillor Christine Erickson told me after the election she said Teresa it's going to calm down we're going to have, we're going to do the reset button we're going to have a better relationship because it let's face it it's been very contentious mm-hmm. this last year well and uh, it you know there well, was a lot of a lot of citizen unrest coming yes. in with the uh, the administration building the the secrecy of the golf course contract those golfers were in there we had people in there when it with the event center siding yeah now we should point out for just for the record the way this works is Public input right now, what, we're, that what we are talking about is a segment at the beginning where you can address anything. On That's the, right. You don't have to be on the agenda. You, this doesn't have anything to do with speaking to a particular ordinance that's being proposed, which you do on second reading. Second reading. And what the city has traditionally said to people is, oh, the, you can come and talk to the council on the second reading. They, they say to citizens, like a conditional use permit, a zoning issue, citizens that have concerns, you can address the council on the second reading. But it's fait accompli. It's, it's a done deal. It's too late. Yes. We don't have time to go drive by their homes and, and vet things out. And we've had so many citizens who've come in. Uh, case in point, I have a, na- a neighbor lady who was bitten by a vicious dog. Mm-hmm. She had to be hospitalized. The city refused to do anything to, to protect people from that dog. Okay, the dog even got out of the house again. She called me up. I said, Rose, come to public input, bring some pictures. She came. She, she's a 80-year-old woman. She came in at 7 o'clock, showed the photos. Guess what? It got the city council on his tippy toes and, and the city attorney, and they created an ordinance. It got their attention. It's an accountability thing. Now, well, if I had happens. said to her, wait till, you know, come on in, 830, 9 o'clock, 730, she wouldn't have come. I asked her this. I said, Rose, would you have come? No. People are hesitant to come to the meeting anyway. But anyway, Councillor Christine Erickson said, we're going to hit the reset button. We're going to be working. You know, it'll be easier for the council. We're going to have co- collaboration. And then... Selberg, Marshall Selberg brings this up now. The timing is horrible. We is just it start, possible? We've had two meetings. Is it possible that it won't? Because Rick Kiley said he would give it a second because he wants to have the discussion. 
right? I, I never heard that. Well, I, I, I that heard was my that. sense out of it. Oh. Now, even if those two guys are solid, oh. I mean, are there are there uh, five or three other votes to well, uh, pass Janet it? Brecky has said absolutely leave it as it is. Mm-hmm. Pat Starr, leave it as it mm-hmm. is. Greg Neitzert told me several weeks ago, I have his email. Greg, you're, I know you're listening. Mm-hmm. He said, I, I, as long as things are um, cordial, we, I won't do anything to public input. No, and he, but he has said that he's listening. He's wants to have the discussion. But, as well, but I'm, I'm saying we've had two meetings. Yeah. The public input last week lasted about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. We had the Super Citizen Award that lasted almost as long. We're yeah. giving awards to people. So why are we do? Why aren't we giving this time to just play out and see how it goes with the new mayor mm-hmm. instead of having this divisive issue come up? And, and that's really what it is. Well, and here's my deal, and we, we got to get to the, the core of the okay. issue here for me, yes. okay, mm-hmm. which is you have to listen to the constituents. Yes. And this is one of the few ways that it happens That's right. well before decisions that's, get that, made. Absolutely. And when you start messing with this, you're just taking public input out of the process, and I just don't yeah. know how that's right. And, and, you're and if you don't ro- like what they're saying, we're talking about the difference between content yes. and offensive language. That's right. And if you just don't like what they're saying, you can't just put them on the back it, of the bus. It's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope when we start to do that. But um, also, I think it's sending that subtle message. I mean, people have been saying, Greg Neitzert sent an email this morning. Well, it's really no different. It, he's telling citizens, well, it doesn't really matter if it's at the beginning or well, the it end. It is different. It does. It I would, matters. Di- I would respectfully you. disagree with my and, friend Greg. And it's giving that subtle message that, um, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to discourage you. We're throwing you in the back alley. So and, do you, does this get a second reading? Will it get enough oh, to get a second well, reading? Well, not for me. I will I be voting no. But so. you can vote no on the first re- reading. So it's possible that tomorrow night... And we night have done that. When, when the garbage handlers came in, and I, I asked them to come to public input, mm-hmm. we were addressing r- having them have an assurance bond because Dan's garbage went mm-hmm. in arrears, 125000 mm-hmm. So the city was going to make all the garbage handlers have to, to take out this bond. Mm-hmm. And I said, come into public input on the first reading. Tell us your story. They did. We voted it down. It does work. Yeah. It does well, there's work. Gonna, there's going to be a lot of people there tomorrow night. There will be, and we're going to listen to every single one of them. Co- counselor, that may be counterproductive. <laughs> counselor Marshall Selberg is going to be the 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 stand-in because Counselor Erickson is gone. So I and the mayor will. It'll be his first opportunity to hear a lot of input. But we've got to be listening to people. Wait a minute. So Christine Erickson is not. She's gonna not going to be there. No. Okay. So, so you don't know how many votes you got. Well, really, I think Counselor uh, Kurt Sale has not returned my phone call. It'll I, go I, through. It'll go through to second reading, for, in all likelihood. And, and, you know, if it does, it's probably going to pass, too. It's going to happen real quick, and it's going to happen. Selberg when would he, second reading? Is two weeks? The, yeah, a week after this. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. It's going to be a sad day for our citizens. I, I'm going to – I'm passionate about this. Listening to our people, have, having more input – instead of less. That's really where we should be going. And and showing with this new administration that we're going to be embracing people instead of shoving them all to the back of the the back of the line. And and you know, somebody made the, I talked to Greg Jameson. Uh, and Greg Jameson by the way, I, I reached out to him. He is one of the staunchest advocates for public input. Mm-hmm. And he, it, during the 8 years he was on the council, he and Kenny Anderson and Kermit Stagers really supported that and worked for that and uh, he said in his campaign he was going to work to preserve that protect it and find even more ways to hear from people bring him into the mayor's office listen to them yeah. i think that well, he got fourth well i don't care he's still a respected <laughs> I person i know okay he's and, a and he's mine. a friend yeah. yes so okay. 
Uh, Teresa Staley, uh, city councilor from the at sec, the one of two at large districts. Right? There's two of them. No, There's three, three of us There's at three large. Of you? Yes, oh. and I encourage people. I gotta pay attention. Let me just say, go to my Facebook page because I'm trying to put current events on there and to keep people informed about. You know, the meeting is tomorrow night. Yep. You can watch it. On Channel 16, and, and we have some other, there's other venues. Of, yeah, but Channel 16 is, is that, a good that's, place to and, go. And then also come on down, uh, because this is this is important for all of us. And someday you may need that that opportunity to come in and tell us your problem, your concern. Maybe something good that's happening. Well, that's right. It could be good it, stuff. Yes, it can be. It has been good things. Yeah. Uh, Teresa Staley, thanks for coming in today. Hey, I appreciate thank you it. so much. We'll, we'll see how this goes. We'll see how this goes. Right after the uh, break here, we're going to chat with Andrew Keitlinger. Andrew Keitlinger, not Anthony Keitlinger, as I said earlier. Misspoke there. Andrew Keitlinger will be in. He's a filmmaker. Augie grad. He's doing great stuff. So stay with us. This is Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Four twenty on the Patrick Lally Show, Information One Thousand KSOO, and I am uh, quite pleased to have on the phone, from I believe somewhere out in the uh, L.A. area, Andrew Keitlinger. He is a Peer native, Augie grad, and he is a filmmaker whose uh, film includes uh, Tater Tot and Patton, which we'll be talking about here in a moment. But uh, Andrew, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So. Uh, Tell the good people, you grew up in Pierre uh, and uh, went to Augie. Um, how is yeah. it that you ended up getting into film? Um, it's kind of a long, convoluted story, which I'll try to boil down to its basics. I was born and raised in Madagascar. So really? Like a random, yeah, it was a random thing. My, uh, my dad's from South Dakota originally. Uh, he was a missionary there for 20 years with my mother. So I was a jungle kid, grew up in the rainforest. They, they did medical work. Um, and I didn't have access to TV or any of those luxuries for a long time so anytime i saw a movie it had a big impact on me yeah and and i think an et being a seminal movie that i saw that was like whoa like how can i do that so even as like a five-year-old i didn't know what filmmaking was but i knew that 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 storytelling instinct kind of grew out of that um so to speak and then i moved back to the united states when i was about 12 years old and I know the bug never left me, and all through college, when I went to Augie, I actually didn't study anything. Um, I didn't study film because I don't have a degree there. I, I studied government oh, wow. um, and, and French, and I took theater classes on the side, but I kept kind of you know, honing my instincts as a storyteller and then eventually uh, ended up going to film school in Boston. So it's always been in my blood, and I honestly don't know what else I'd be doing. I wouldn't be happy doing anything else. So it's kind of something I've had to stick with. That's amazing. So growing up in Madagascar, how old were you during that stretch? How long were you there? And, and what ages were you there in Madagascar? I, I was I was there from birth all the way. I was born in a little village on the southern tip of the island. Um, and I was there until I was 12. So there's a couple of times where we moved, we moved back and forth and spent a, you know, a year or something in, in the U.S. But for the most part, about you know the first major formative years of my life were all done in Madagascar. That's a pretty amazing story. What was what was it like then when you landed in Pier and you had to sort of reacclimate or just acclimate to American society and growing up in that after after living in Madagascar for that long? It's a, it's a Pandora's box you've just opened there. Um, 
<laughs> you, you, it's, uh, you know, I actually adjust it a lot better than there's a whole book. I'm sure there is a book or if there isn't, there should be one um, about, you know, third culture kids and especially missionary kids coming back, being uprooted and coming back to the United States. And, I, and a lot of them don't pan out so well. Um, I have a lot of friends who've gone through a lot of struggles and whatnot. I turned out okay. I had, I'm an only child. My parents are pretty stalwart people um, and, and saw early on that, you know, they taught me how to adapt. But I'm not going to say it was easy. It was really weird on the first day of middle school. And I came right in middle school, like the worst age for any kid, period. And then you have me coming from learning French. I went to French school where they're still in the medieval ages in Madagascar. They were you know, whipping kids with rulers and things, and then coming to America where kids talk back to their teachers. And to me, that was something that was so, you know, not talk back, but just talk to the teachers in this casual manner. And to me, that was so weird. Um, and the American kids were weird. So it took me a long time to adjust to that. But my parents, thankfully, steered me in the right direction. And I made, uh, had a good friend group in peer and eventually assimilated into society very well. And that community has been a blessing for me through just, my formative years and as a filmmaker. We're talking with Andrew Keitlinger. He is a filmmaker. And are you based out of L.A. now or where do you live? I, I am. Yeah, I've actually been in South Dakota for quite a long time, since about 2010. Um, just working on material, honing, making movies. Uh, and um, I, I started off in 2010. I actually moved back from L.A. in 2010. So I had a job. I'll make this. This is also a convoluted story, <laughs> but I had a job. Right after film school, I moved to L.A. and had a job for one of Steve, um, for the, Ke- the Kennedy Marshall Company. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kathleen Kennedy is now most famous for being basically the, the czar of Lucasfilm. So she produces all the new Star Wars movies. Um, and at the time, and they've been, and she's also been Steven Spielberg's like, producer for you know, 30, 30, 40 years now. Um, and anything that we love dearly, anything intellectual property-wise that we love dearly, she's touched, essentially. So I, I was working with my heroes, which is really cool. And I had an internship there, and I got a really great piece of advice from one of them, which is that um, if you want to become a writer-director, if you want to direct in this business, go back to where you came from and tell stories about where you came from. Interesting. Because that'll help you get through the door easier in the long run. If I stayed in L.A., I would have been swallowed up by the machine, so to speak. Yeah. And I honestly would not have taken that advice had I not revered, had these people not made Indiana Jones and E.T., you know? like right. I just revered, I revered them so much. I was like, okay. So I did that, and I came back to South Dakota and made a, um, a, a gloriously B science fiction picture called Dust of War mm-hmm. in 2010, which we shot around Pierre, and that movie was a blast. Um, not a perfect film. It was a learning experience. I learned a lot about myself as a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what directing is. A direct, the, being a director is basically just being a dictator. It's one of the last, <laughs> it's one of the last like dictatorial positions on earth in a sense, unless I guess you count presidents now. But um, so I'm like, you know, so I'm kind of. So it, it was a learning experience, and I went and made a bunch of short films, and then um, and then Tater Tot and Patton kind of came about. Yeah. And that was something that I just had to do. I wanted to tell, I wanted to shift at the, the ripe age of 27. I decided I needed to reinvent myself as an artist. Yeah. So I, uh, so I, instead of doing um, science fiction, you know, kind of B movies, which that was going to send me down a path. And when you go into that path deep, you usually can't get out of it. Yeah, that's right. Um, you're there so forever. I, you're there forever. Yeah. And you kind of get branded. So I decided to readjust, do a drama. And that drama got me, in touch with a manager in Los Angeles yeah. um, who represents a lot of really great big filmmakers. 
And now that was reason enough for me to move out. And now I'm working on my next movie and cool. a couple other things as well. I want to talk about Tater Tot and Patton right after the news and weather. And we'll come back and chat about that movie because it's a it's an interesting story. Uh, Andrew Keitlinger, he is a filmmaker uh, who grew up a little bit in Pier and went to Augie. We'll be right back. This is the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Sin magazines, those lipstick bathing beauty queens. Uh-huh. But you don't see them, do you, dear? And there's a waitress with a sweet tattoo. She's gorgeous and in love with you. Uh-huh. 4.34 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. And we return to our conversation with... Andrew Keitlinger, he is a Peer native and Augustana University graduate and uh, Boston University graduate, where he got a master's degree, who is a who is a burgeoning film director. I don't even know if you're burgeoning anymore, Andrew. You're you're a film director, right? Yeah, I'd like to say that, but burgeoning is a good word for it, still, though. So uh, we talked a little bit in the first segment uh, about this film that has won you some attention, and that is uh, Tater Tot and Patton. Now, uh, you, you were talking about how uh, you got some great advice, which was, you know, write about sort of where you're from. Go back there and tell those stories. How, tell, tell me about this story and where it came from for you. Um, I guess I always like to say how the, the germ of the idea came. I was, as an artist, you're kind of a nomad, especially when you're, you know, a freelancer and you're wanting to direct movies. Um, so I spent a... I spent a, a winter in Chicago dog sitting. The owners of um, the owners of the dog were in Africa on this like adventure and everything. So I was dog sitting this this nice dog in this nice house in uh, Lincoln Park, and it was a miserable winter, snow all the time, freezing cold, um, and I really missed South Dakota, oddly enough, even though it was winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my head, for some reason, I had this image. Just one day. It was just, you know, the cold is outside, or snow storming. I was shoveling all this snow, and this dog just kept staring at me and wondering, you know, why am I with this person? And this image came in my head of a girl in a, in a yellow bikini and a man with a pot belly and his shirt hanging open and a beer in his hand walking through the prairie with a dog. <laughs> that was the image in my head. And I, I didn't know why it was, but that was what it was. And I asked myself, like, who? And, and honestly, the title came right there. I'm like, oh, Tater Tot and Patton for some reason, just came out of that. And I said, who are these people? Yeah. And then a month later, I wrote the movie. I had the movie written, um, at least the first draft of the movie written. That's um, an amazing and, story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it kind of, you know, I think inspiration comes from the most unlikely of places. And sometimes it's when you're isolated and alone in a sense. And uh, yeah, you know, and, and then of course it also, then the movie itself is about grief and loss. Um, I lost my mother about a decade ago mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, from a sudden heart attack. And that's actually what spurred me into pursuing film full bore was what actually made me go to grad school and pursue film was that kind of catalytic event of, you know, life is short, do what you love, you know, pursue your dreams. And, and so, but all my projects since then have always focused on sort of that, on, on the theme of loss. And so this movie is about loss and how, and the isolation you get from it, but then also the healing that comes from the most unexpected of places. And, the, and in Tater Tot and Patton, it's a story of a niece, um, who's going through her own kind of millennial issues, escapes her uncle's ranch in South Dakota, and discovers that her issues pale in comparison to what he's going through. Um, so it's these two people that kind of help each other rise out of their personal ashes. 
And so this this movie is set and filmed in the central South Dakota. Was it all right around Pierre, or where did you film it? Yeah, so we filmed. Uh, I guess I'll get to where we filmed it. We uh, so I, I, I the opening description in the script is a, is a very specific ranch house, and I wanted something very humble and kind of kind of dilapidated, but but a humble. And I had a very specific, and it had to be one story and all this stuff. So I actually drove around South Dakota the summer before we shot and went to fifty two different ranches. Not just South Dakota, but also Minnesota and Iowa. And, and, and some of them I just randomly drove up, hoping I wouldn't get killed, um, you know, or shoot off. And then other <laughs> ones, you know, I, I went up and people were, you know, super nice. I and mean, nobody was ever mean. Everybody was like, oh, what are you doing here? You know, suspicious at first, but then loved that I was scouting for a movie. Um, but I can never find a place. You know, ranchers, for the most part, do very well in South Dakota. And a lot of them have big houses now. You know, they, they expand and everything. There's just too much clutter and too much opulence. So I wasn't finding what I wanted, and I finally, with the power of social media, went on Facebook, put in the description of what I wanted, and the girl that I went to prom with, uh, <laughs> junior year prom with in high school, said, hey, that's my grandparents' land, 17 miles north of Pier. Wow. And I was like, oh, of course, right under my nose. <laughs> so we shot the movie north of Fort Pier um, on the grasslands, and we also shot a little bit in Pier and Fort Pier as well. It's a great story. So uh, people can still see this movie. Uh, is it available through uh, some of the streaming services? Or? Yeah, hopefully more. Hopefully more soon. Right now we've just kind of, we're slowly finishing up our festival circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're in, the, in kind of a distribution phase where we're negotiating with different distributors. We want to find a good one that will be a good home for the movie. But yes, eventually we'll be on streaming services. Unfortunately, I can't tell you an exact date when. But I'd say if you look out for it in 2019, that would be a safe bet. Um, so, it's a long road. We made this movie in like 2015. So independent films take a long time to get, get out there. Wow. And so you went on, you talked about being on the festival circuit. You actually won uh, Best Narrative Feature at the Beloit International Film Festival in January. That's a, that's, that's a good sign for your film, right? Yeah, no, people, yeah, people embrace it. And Beloit, you know, I was, I unfortunately wasn't able to go, but our lead actor went and said it was the most amazing experience. And, you know, they really appreciated movies about people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's nice about this film being embraced. It's something that we don't see. You know, I love superhero movies, but now that's all we see. And the movies about people are a few and far between. You know, I kind of, I'm a, I'm a kind of a scholar of movies from the 70s, even though I, you know, was born in the 80s. I, one flew over the cuckoo's nest and, you know, and, and I guess the big chill is the eighties, but movies like that, movies about people are like kind of what I hang on to. And so it's nice to see that embraced. And with the advent of Netflix and VOD, like streaming services, movies about people are more widely received now. So that's, it's a good, and the festival circuit is great, great, great place to sort of send your movie out and see how people react to it. And we've also played at the Napa Valley film festival, which was a gas, uh, the South Dakota film festival, the black Hills film festival in South Dakota, so Empire Film Festival. So we played around South Dakota. It's always been a treat to take the movie to Dakota venues, especially. Yeah, that's great. And you've been showing it all over. Um, how does that work with film festivals? Do you just shoot it out to as many as you can and hope you get hooks on? Or how does that work? you got to make a uh, connection first? That's a complicated question. But the, the simple thing of it is you have to have a strategy going forward because, you know, every filmmaker makes a movie wanting to premiere somewhere big. Like a, you know, like a Sundance or something, but those are actually very, you know, what should I say here, but they can be very politically driven. Right. Um, it's a lot about who you know, and, and it also, you know, you kind of have to earn your way in. Very rarely do they just pluck something out of obscurity, um, which is what Tater Tot is, is a movie made from very little money in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, 
I don't think there's nowhere, but most, most people on the coast do. And, um, you know, and, and so it, that had an uphill battle there. So I think for us, you know, what we did is we just pinpointed places that we wanted to go personally, like, oh, we really want to go to Napa, you know, and yeah. it kind of made all those things work. And the Napa thing also, you know, that that was something that was a no-brainer because we actually had some sponsors in Sioux Falls that own a winery out there. And so that made sense for us as well. Yeah. Um, but a lot of alcohol in the movie because it's <laughs> drinking as well. So the sponsors uh, you also uh uh played at the uh what's it what's the dances with films in los angeles which yes. is at the chinese yeah, yeah. theater which is pretty amazing yeah that's where we premiered the movie now that was really a treat to be able to premiere it in, in that venue um because you know it's kind of legendary and you know and the venue itself is amazing the the surrounding area is a little cluttered because it's hollywood boulevard and there's you know guys in superman costumes running around <laughs> so that, that was kind of annoying but um, as far as just an experience, at a big crowd. That festival really loves, again, small movies about people. Um, so that was a real treat, and yeah, it was a great place to premiere it. We're going to come right back and talk more with Andrew Keitlinger about his film Tater Tot and Patton and what he's doing now. That's all coming up next on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. Maybe the sun will shine today The clouds will blow away 446 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO, and we continue our conversation with Andrew Keitlinger. He is a peer native and Augustana graduate who has made a movie called Tater Tot and Patton actually made it a few years ago, and it's making the rounds on the festival circuit and has won some awards. Uh, one final thing on, on Tater Tot and Patton before we talk about your future. Uh, you had some uh, uh, actors on this film with some uh, serious uh, credentials. Uh, Jessica Roth, uh, who has been in La La Land and Happy Death Day, and uh, Bates Wilder. Uh, who's who also has film credits? Uh, how did you get connected with these folks as an independent filmmaker just on your way up? Uh, good, great question. Um, they all have fun stories. Bates is a guy who's been in so many movies, um, and he um, biggest one probably biggest role he's had recently is probably Enjoy um, with Jennifer Lawrence, and he uh, he was actually my professor at Boston University. He <laughs> taught an adjunct course um, to writers and directors about how to act because of the belief that if you understand actors, you can be a better director, which is true. Um, so, and he and I got along really well because we both had a very scatological sense of humor, um, which, you know, we like fart jokes, essentially. <laughs> um, so that, that's how we bonded initially, and then we both, both discovered it. We both had a very deep understanding and love and mutual appreciation of the craft of directing and acting. Um, and he, he played the villain of my first feature that I did, my first science fiction movie, and he was kind of a no-brainer for this. I wrote the part for him. So he's a guy that I've worked with a few times, and he's a very benevolent, benevolent actor. Um, and then Jessica, also a Boston University acting conservatory grad, but she's a girl that I met once for probably 60 seconds during, an, uh, during a monologue reading. A bunch of actors came up and did a monologue read, and I remember seeing her and singling her out. We never spoke. But I, 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 for some reason, just knew she was going to be famous someday. Hmm. And years down the line, when I was writing this, she popped into my head again. So kind of creepily, I wrote the movie for her without having, with just that in my head. 
And there's kind of a rule if you make an independent film, you want to find an actress that you think is going to explode at some point. Mm-hmm. So actually with Jessica, you know, I Googled her and said, oh, she's actually on her way up. So I, I still had her email from this roster that we had based on those monologues. I contacted her. I think at first she was dubious, but then she read the movie and saw, oh, this is really good. Um, and signed on. And, you know, you mentioned La La Land. La La, we actually had to push our shoot a year, not a year, a month to accommodate La La Land shoot. Oh, that's amazing. So we, yeah. Yeah. She, she actually flew from shooting La La Land to South Dakota in a 24 hour time frame. Oh. Um, yeah. And then, and then, of course, you know, showing the difference between studio movies and independent films. Then she shot Happy Death Day after Tater Tot. But obviously that come out and was a huge hit and she actually is currently shooting happy death day too oh that's amazing that is uh that's a not just a stroke of luck but uh some well-placed strategy by you to remember that and do all that yeah i could have failed you know and she also is an amazing human being so you know we're good friends now so that that helps out as well that's great how long did you shoot tater tot and Patton? it was a 20-day shoot um so, yeah, in a film production's lifespan, uh, the production is usually like about, we always joke that it's about 10% of the life of the movie. Wow. And there's everything else after and before. And the after is really the biggest part, you know, where you try to get out, especially an independent film. And the market's really weird. I don't want to get into market talk, but <laughs> Netflix and, and Amazon and all that stuff, it's a very strange time to be an independent filmmaker. It's hard to get movies out there. Yeah. Um, so at one point, there's a, all these platforms are put it there but it's still hard to get as noticed so it's, it's a struggle and but, but our goal again is to put it out there and also get it we want to play it in theaters in south dakota soon so oh, that's a definitely a goal andrew keitlinger he's a filmmaker uh peer native whose film uh tater tot and Patton is uh making the rounds but tell us andrew what are you working on now that you you shot that in 2015 uh that was a long time ago what, what's going on it was. don't remind me yeah um <laughs> Uh, so in the meantime, so after that movie got made, and obviously we shot it, and then we went through a year of post-production, and then a year of like getting and trying to get into big festivals, and blah, blah, blah. And in that time period, the movie has been passed around internally. So the movie was always, you know, our goal is to get it out there and make money on it, but it was also made as a calling card for me as a director. Um, and so that on that level, it really, you know, worked like gangbusters. I, I got in contact with um, with a manager who represents some very big directors at a company called Artists First in LA. And this guy represents people who directed Fast and Furious movies and you know, is working with Lynn Manuel Miranda now. Like, really great. I'm still a guppy in his yeah. client list. But we get along really well. Um, he's a really chill guy. Um, and when I first met with him, he said, Well, you're really great with actors and really great with drama. The next thing you need to do is something with some social significance. And managers, managers, What's different about managers and agents is managers, they want to be there for the long haul of your career. They want to make sure that you're choosing the right projects that are going to help you attain longevity throughout the years. Um, and they also take a cut. So, yeah. you know, so he basically, so basically, long story short, um, I spent the last year writing and researching a movie about sex trafficking really? in South Dakota. Oh. Yep. Um, so that hopefully will be my next feature. Um, and it's a dramatic thriller. It's not a documentary. It's a dramatic thriller of a story. I don't want to go into too much detail about it right now, but I had a lot of research in South Dakota, talked to a lot of, you know, um, frontline advocates, a lot of law enforcement, including the attorney general's office, um, a lot of survivors of sex trafficking. So I'm really excited about it. Um, you know, it presents a challenge about how you take that subject matter, uh, one that's kind of inaccessible in a sense to people because we can't relate to it and make it relatable and make people 
entertained is not the right word, but to make a movie that people can walk out of and not feel completely, you know, yeah. completely depressed, you know, yeah. and, and how to kind of spin it in a certain hopeful manner. Um, so that's what I've been doing now. And then I've also been working on a bunch of like scripts to sell essentially. So a lot of like big sure. science, I'm a huge science fiction guy. So a lot of big science fiction stuff. This is a hard question in the minute we have left, but it must be very difficult at some measure to develop uh, your craft as a writer and your craft as a director because they're different skill sets. You're still storytelling, but they're so much different. How do you do both at the same time? I have no idea. I'm still learning. Uh, direct, <laughs> like I said, directing is a dictatorial job. It's not. It's it's a leadership job, um, and writing is is an isolating job. So they're kind of at the different opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to artistic. So it's kind of like just putting one in a box for a while and then coming out of it when I need to. It's, um, it's not. It's not easy. It's a lot of gray hairs. You got to keep switching the switching the the switch back and forth in your brain. That's uh, for yeah. Me, and when you're on difficult. set, the challenge on set is to not be the writer when you're directing and just kind of leave the script out the door. And that's the challenge of being a writer director. It would be very interesting as a director to be uh, directing your own script and say, man, I left a hole in that storyline. How do I fix that? that, You know? Oh yeah. That happens to me all the time. Like, (laughs) Oh, okay. You know, but if you do it with confidence, you know, people, most people won't notice and they'll forgive you. Yeah. Andrew Keitlinger, he is a peer native Augustana graduate and uh, filmmaker. Uh, Andrew, I really appreciate you taking some time and we look forward to your next project. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is a, this is a treat. Coming up after the news and after the break, we'll finish up the show and go into the news and weather. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four fifty-eight on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Looks like it might be a good uh, stretch of weather for a ball game. I don't know about tonight, but the Canaries are playing tonight. Let me look out the window. Yeah, it looks all right. 7.05 tonight, Tuesday, and Thursday at 12.05. I'm sorry. 7.05 Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, and 12.05 on Wednesday. They will host the Chicago Dogs. Bunch of dogs. Coming up on the show tomorrow, Libby Screen of the ACLU of South Dakota will be here to discuss Mayor Paul Tenhaken's recent creating creation of a street-level drug enforcement unit in Sioux Falls. The common man is our weird friend of the day. And blogger Corey Heidelberger of Dakota Free Press will be here. It's all tomorrow on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO.